0: So at the end of the last episode, I said that there would be another episode of Witch Hassle in the next seven or eight hours, and that sounded probably like I was joking, but I was actually telling the truth. And so my April Fool's Day prank is to say a thing that sounds like a joke, but actually mean it. This is Witch Hassle. Let's get to work. everyone and welcome to Witch Hassle. This is a unique episode of the program that I am excited to bring you today, but before we get to how it is unique and the very exciting thing that I am going to present to you, we should get through the Plague Magic Minute. And this one is going to be very, very quick. Standard caveats apply, things to consider trying in addition to following standard health guidelines not to do instead of them. And our Plague Magic Minute for today comes from an article that Mark R. Taylor, member of the Royal College of Surgeons, licentiate of the Royal College of Physicians, read at the May 15th, 1929 meeting of the Folklore Society, and this was published in Transactions of the Folklore Society in June of that same year. And he tells us that in Norfolk, there was a cure for whooping cough that included tying a flat fish called a dab around a child's neck and letting it hang over their chest as it flapped and gasped its last and then burning the fish and with it presumably the sickness. So there's your Plague Magic Minute. Um, Consider doing something, It's you know, it seems cruel to do to a fish. So maybe don't do this. Maybe find some kind of substitution. Maybe use a Tamagotchi. Moving on. Today's interview is a very special one, unique in the history of the Witch Hassle podcast. I make no secret of the fact that, for a self-professed wizard, I actually don't know that much about astrology. I think it's fun, uh, but I find it very intimidating. There just seems to be an incredibly large amount of information to keep in your head at once. But as I get older, you know, the more comfortable I am with the idea that I have my niche and other people have their niches. And you don't you don't need to know everything as an individual, especially if you're lucky enough to know someone who is incredibly smart and incredibly generous. And I just happened to know someone like that named Corbin DeWitt. Corbin DeWitt is you know, a brilliant astrologer, a kind and generous human being, and I wanted to get her on the show. And she came to me with a proposition that I thought was genius. And so I'm gonna let her tell the story. And in the meantime, here are two bios for you to know. Claire Comstock-Gay is the author of *Madam Clairvoyant's Guide to the Stars, a collection of essays about astrology and culture, and she writes weekly horoscopes for New York magazine's The Cut. She currently lives in St. Paul, Minnesota. Corbin DeWitt is a writer, self-taught astrologer, and a bookseller at collectively-run radical bookstore Bone Shaker Books, and she lives and works in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And the first voice you hear will be Corbin DeWitts.
1: I thought we could get started by doing sort of a history of how this interview came to be for the listeners of the podcast. So Cooper and I are friends outside of the world of occult knowledge. We're friends through other friends who are not related to like witchy things at all. And he approached me a few months ago at this point and asked me if I would be interested in coming on Witch Hassle to talk about astrology and if there was any particular topic that I wanted to try and approach. And I thought, <laughs> I thought about this for a while because I'm a self-taught astrologer completely, so I didn't I don't really think of myself as an expert at all, but almost immediately my mind went to you, (laughs) because you are a professional astrologer, and we also have the unique position of sharing a birthday. And so I said, yeah, Cooper, I would be potentially interested in being on Witch Hassle, but I have this idea where two, (laughs) two astrologers with the same birthday interview each other and talk about that and what that means and the whole approach of birth charts etc so here we are here we are i love it <laughs> so should we should we jump right in should we just reveal our entire birth charts right away our entire lives, our entire entire lives. lives. yeah let's do it <laughs> all right what's the best way to do this should we should we run through sign by sign do you want to do like a little well let's start what are your big three yeah that's good so i am sagittarius sun
2: Capricorn mm-hmm. Moon Cancer Rising.
1: Okay. Sagittarius Sun, Capricorn Moon, Cancer Rising. And I am a Sagittarius Sun Cancer Moon Scorpio rising. I love it. We have a lot of overlap. Yes, I feel like, so we looked at each other's charts ahead of this. And I feel that I knew that we already shared a lot of like Sagittarius like heavy Scorpio Sag. Scorpio. Capricorn
2: action. Yeah. <laughs> Both
1: a sort of lopsidedness that we should <laughs> So, So tell me a little bit about your birth chart reading approach, because I know that you started, You in your book, you talk a little bit about how you didn't feel very drawn to astrology at first, particularly because you thought of yourself only as a Sagittarius sun. Um, and you're like, well, this doesn't describe me at all.
2: Yeah, totally. It was the type of thing where You know, unless there's someone in your life who like can show you what astrology is all about, you probably encounter it through newspaper horoscopes or like 17 magazine Mm -hmm. or something like that, which is so, you know, like reductive, like money, love, dating, like here's what you are, here's what to do. (laughs) And the description of Sagittarius, especially in all of those, and I'm curious what your experience was, right? But Sagittarius is this like, (laughs) like Fun-loving, brainy jock kind of, yeah, right? Yeah, like
1: dumb, dumb jock. Loved... The <laughs> yeah, sort of um, a philosopher stoner type sometimes too.
2: Yes, totally, right. And I definitely, as a teenager, saw myself as more of like a moody artiste. <laughs> and so there was just like nothing that I could connect with at all when I was just looking at the Sagittarius side of things.
1: Yeah, I. You know that that resonated with me when I when I read it. I got into astrology fairly young. I had my first book on astrology from it was one of those extremely 90s like Barnes and Noble made for you know made for the occult section like little commodity guidebooks with these wild illustrations. I have no recollection of who wrote it. No recollection of the <laughs> I remember paging through and and looking at these beautiful sort of vibrant paintings for all of the signs and not really feeling the Sagittarius one which I think was orange (laughs) Uh, and and yeah seeing that there was this sort of the sort of like big-hearted like good-natured bouncy friendly smiley situation I'm like that's not me and I really vibed with Scorpio actually totally
2: Um, totally Scorpio's which, cool, like goth and cool always.
1: Yeah. yeah. Very goth, uh, very cool. I was I was at that time in my life an aspiring goth. I can't say I ever quite like, goth <laughs> all the way. But I, I think that I think that we both share this experience of being kind of uninterested in the Sagittarius side of things and then feeling this real strong kinship to our rising signs, which is so fascinating. Totally. And it's I feel
2: like later in life I've come to
1: identify strongly
2: with the Sagittarius. Side, But especially kind of as a point of entry, I needed the rising sign. Wait, and tell me again, you are, you're your Scorpio rising.
1: I am Scorpio yeah. rising. Yeah. And Scorpio is my chart. So it's my chart ruler, the ascendant. And then I also have Mars and Pluto in Scorpio in the first yes. half. It's like being a <laughs> Scorpio rising three times over, which is a little much, I think, sometimes.
2: So would you say, like, is that still kind of the most... I don't know, um, like meaningful or relevant part of your chart to you?
1: It's hard to say. I think that the its presence is undeniably felt. I, I think almost of my scorpioness as something that exists outside of my control in a way uh-huh. that I don't think of my Sagittariusness something that exists outside of my control. I find that I have that exact experience that all the, you know, goofy websites say is true of being a Scorpio rising where people will tell you that you're aloof or hard to read or mysterious, which I find is not how I experienced myself at all. (laughs) Um, And I think that for a long time, it was startling to me anytime somebody would say something like that, because I feel maybe that is how I feel my Sagittariusness and, and my Cancer moon too, is I feel like I'm a completely open book. And then people will kind of say, really, is that, you think that?
2: <laughs> well, it's funny, right? Cause there's the kind of the different like versions of the rising sign, right? Mm-hmm. Like for some people, it's the mask that you put on in the world. Mm-hmm. And for some people, it's the role that you're thrust into by others in the world. And yeah. it seems like that second one, in a lot of ways is it for you like they tell you that you're aloof rather than you <laughs> trying to put that up
1: for yourself trying to trying to claim that that's the case yeah. i would not necessarily say though that i i don't i don't play into it i think maybe <laughs> and but this is this is interesting because this comes back to your your conception of the the Sagittarius identity as being in some way intertwined with that of the alter ego i find that i have often wanted to play with the idea of the alter ego uh-huh. in my life and i don't necessarily know where the Scorpio, you know, closed book part of that ends and the Sagittarian sort of fluidity of identity begins.
2: Totally. Well, because it kind of always is, right? The signs feed into each other through the wheel. And so there's like the closed book that feeds into this like expanding, reaching. Yeah exploratory figure. Yeah, for the listeners, the alter ego idea is something I wrote about in my book, like looking at Sagittarius through the lens of all these different Sagittarian pop stars who have explored different alter egos. Specifically, who did I write about? Miley Cyrus, Nicki Minaj, Mm -hmm. all have these kind of different characters and different versions of themselves in their music.
1: Janelle Monáe, I remember the first time you and I met, you were talking about this this concept of the Sagittarian alter ego. And you asked me, you know, is there anyone who just seems like a quintessential Sagittarius to you? And I said, Janelle Monet And you said, oh, she's already in my book, like I am <laughs> which was great. I feel like, I feel like that was a real, a real moment of validation. She has that, <laughs> has that chameleon quality while at the same time, never seeming like she's not herself. Totally. Um,
2: and it's interesting because I feel like a lot of that is more classically understood to be a Gemini kind of trait as having these two different sides to you Mm -hmm. right and obviously Sagittarius and Gemini have this opposite kind of polarity kinship with each other Um, yeah but I think it's really useful for Sagittarius too I also and I think we've talked about this before my like favorite lenses to look at Sagittarius is that one I feel like there are some like a few famous literary translators that always get in trouble for being kind of fast and loose are Sagittarians and like pop stars not only pop stars but famous women who get really dramatic
1: haircuts yes we have talked about the the many Sagittarius women particularly with the shaved head with the iconic head. head so there's Britney Spears of course. Britney Spears of course. There
2: Um, is Sinead O'Connor.
1: Sinead O'Connor. There's Arundhati Roy. Arundhati Roy. Who also shares a birthday with us.
2: Yes oh my gosh we should get her on the podcast.
1: How do we get Arundhati Roy on the podcast?
2: (laughs) Right and they all have been pretty explicit that like I am
1: doing this because
2: you are trying to imprison me in this box of femininity and I won't do it.
1: Yes it's a defiant action it's not just a haircut. Right which is very cool. Let's maybe talk cancer. Now you are a cancer rising.
2: I am a cancer rising.
1: Tell me about that. (laughs) What has that been for
2: you? (laughs) Very difficult. (laughs) Very emotional. I mean, yeah, so I think when I was younger, especially that was very much how I saw myself and how I experienced the world, right? Like the whole deal, kind of the hard shell and the tender insides and this like roiling sea of emotions within you at all times. As I've gotten older, I think it's been less like an identity thing for me. I think I'm more external (laughs) than I used to be. I do, I struggle a lot. Here's what I struggle with lately with the cancer descriptions is I hate like the mothering
1: Oh, yes. Whole thing. <laughs> Just, yeah, it's an erotic mother as cancers. Oh, sort of it's alive. awful. Yeah. <laughs> I really hate it.
2: Where um, to begin
1: unpacking that? I mean, <laughs> right.
2: and it's so tough, right? This is kind of like a broader, broader conversation within astrology and all this stuff in general. But, like, it's kind of like, no, this is not about real mothers. This is the mother as an archetype.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's like, okay, but. I don't think they're that different. I don't think we can talk about an archetype without talking about real life mothers, right? And yeah. so how do you untangle these things? How do you find meaning in one while cutting out like drawing a bright line? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think there there are several signs that seem to me to be plagued by their archetypes <laughs> yeah. that <Okay>. are totally <laughs> that are not I mean that don't that that don't mesh at all with my understanding of the sign after you know sort of years of studying and observation and reading I think Cancer is like this I think Scorpio is like this agree Um, Capricorn in a big way oh yeah Capricorn I think especially too one of the strangest things about Capricorn for me is how there's I mean, there's the the in opposition to cancer, there's the idea of Capricorn as the great father, the father, the like authoritarian. And yet, father. <laughs> and yet, it's a it's it's also an earth sign, which is posited to have this quote unquote feminine energy, whatever that means, right? right. <laughs> right. In, the, in the tangle of the gender binary that we have to deal with when we talk about you know astrological history and interpretation, and both of those things. Both Cancer and Capricorn seem to be, that seems like a real limitation in how the signs express themselves and how people view them and see them and talk about them. Totally.
2: And I think, I don't know if this has been your experience, like most often I think if I come across, like if I meet someone who really does not identify with their sign Like, chances are it's a Capricorn just because the descriptions are, like, so horrible, right? And it's, like, you are, like, the patriarchy embodied, right? Like, of course no one wants to identify with that. That's terrible.
1: Yes. Um, The CEO, right, is, like, the other uh, sort of, the other thing that comes up all the time. It's, like, okay, you're a Capricorn. You get to be the father or the CEO. It's the
2: worst. And, like, the... um. I think it's in, it's in one of the Linda Fidman books where she writes, like, if you want to find a Capricorn, like, go to a room full of rich people and you'll find a bunch of Capricorns. <laughs> it's <just> like, oh, <laughs> awful.
1: Depressing. I will say my favorite description of Capricorn and the one that I find myself relying on the most when I'm doing any kind of chart interpretation is from the series of essays that Rosa Lister wrote. Those for so good. <laughs> all or the something, the all, I think the all, maybe the toast, one of the extremely online uh, <laughs> magazines of yore. And she has this description of Capricorn as the goat. And then brings up the fact that goats have square pupils Oh yes, and it's so uncanny to look into the eyes of a goat and see that the the holes in their eyes are rectangular, <laughs> basically. And has this great line where the goat doesn't know it has square pupils, and so we <laughs> tell a goat that it's you know it's bizarre <laughs> it's doing things this insane way the goat goes like what do you mean I have square pupils and I, I think of that as the line that defines Capricorns for me where they're just so intense about something and so committed to something and so 100% the thing that they are that when you call their attention to it they're like what do you mean I have square pupils what, what are you talking about <laughs>
2: it's I really like oh go ahead
1: oh no that's
2: yeah. Um, no, I had forgotten that. I love those essays. I had forgotten about that one, but it's so that's so good. I also think, right, like right, the idea that each sign has a corresponding tarot card and Capricorn's is the devil. Like Capricorn's a secret freak. Like, to me, that's what is most useful. And I think the school of pupils is exactly that same thing, right? Like, you are a freak. You're just a secret one.
1: Yeah, it's it's all in the
2: eyes. So your moon is in Capricorn. My moon is in Capricorn. And this was even more than Sagittarius. This was the one where, for years, I was like, maybe my birth time was wrong. Like, maybe it was right on the edge. Maybe I have a different moon because it doesn't make sense. But it does make sense. Completely. (laughs) like I'm not too proud to say. And I think where I feel it is just being extremely hard on myself, right, is the Capricorn thing. And if you're lucky, that translates into having like a lot of integrity in your life. And if you're not lucky, it just means that you're like excruciatingly hard on yourself about everything.
0: Yeah,
1: the Capricorn energy, wherever it shows up, I think it results in one being extremely hard on oneself and I cannot imagine what it feels like to have that in the moon (laughs) placement in the exact emotional center of your life it's it's rough it's a burden
2: it's a burden I think a lot of Capricorn moon people are like geniuses though I'm not saying this about myself I'm just saying this about other people I will say it about um, you. <laughs> I think it, like Mitski has a Capricorn moon which yes. makes so much sense Libra Sun Capricorn moon Scorpio um, rising, Scorpio rising. Yes. <laughs> the writer Alyssa Washuda has a Capricorn moon oh wow Cher has a Capricorn moon and a Cancer rising
1: <laughs> oh Cher <laughs>
2: right I think yeah I think it's a good placement but not an easy one yeah do you have placements that for you feel like pain points as they say pain points
1: for me yeah. <sighs> sometimes sometimes i think this of my cancer moon which back to cancer being the the great the great wounded one <laughs> <laughs> i think especially in contrast with how i experienced the the heavy scorpio end of my chart which is like can you please get control of your feelings. You know, everything is very deeply felt, but can you just can we, <laughs> we feel it in complete secrecy? And the, the Sagittarius sign, which I think I think of Sagittarius as being such an emotional sign, but in this way of like easy come, easy go, you know? Totally. Oh my yeah, God. totally. <laughs> you know, we're feeling this, and in a minute we're probably going to be feeling something different, and that's okay. You know, there's, there's a real... A real ease about the way that Sagittarius experiences those emotional moments and in some ways having a Cancer Moon and just really wanting to stew in feelings
2: sometimes yeah when I feel like the Cancer Moon is very right Sagittarius is like able to be so chill because it's like maybe you'll hurt me maybe you'll betray me that's fine I'll keep moving whatever yeah and Cancer Moon is like if you hurt me, I will die from it. <laughs> like yeah. I will literally die if you hurt my feelings.
1: Yes. That is that is it. So <laughs> holding those two things at the same time is not always easy, I would say. Yeah. Not as easy as Sagittarius would want it to be.
2: Yeah, Sagittarius loves <laughs> loves an easier thing.
1: Not out of laziness, but just yeah. loves it. Yeah. Loves to chill. Loves to move on to the next thing also. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I will say the other thing that I'm learning about right now or sort of experiencing right now is my Saturn placement because I'm going through my Saturn. I was just going to ask you about that. Which is fine. (laughs) (laughs) I have Saturn in Aquarius, but it's in the house that's ruled by Capricorn in my chart. Mm -hmm. And I... Have sort of been waiting for this. I I, I don't think I was a person who's afraid of my Saturn return in the way that a lot of people are. I think I was really curious to see what would come out of it. And Saturn's movement into Aquarius, a lot of listeners to this podcast will probably know and remember, coincided almost exactly with global lockdown for the coronavirus. So I I you know in some ways. I watched the world like explain to me what the Saturn return was in a visceral like way and in other ways it was this thing that existed totally outside of me and wasn't about a personal journey at all and that seems very aquarian to me the idea that the suffering is not individual it is universal like the suffering has to be communal and the the learning and the knowledge that comes from this, whatever it's going to be, is going to be communally oriented and experienced also at like a great distance, which is one of the things that I associate most strongly with Aquarians and the Aquarius vibe is like just being in deep space. Deep <laughs> space,
2: other planet, yeah.
1: Yeah, and we're all sort of on our own little planet right now because of the way that the world is laid out. Totally. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I'm in the middle of it. So I can't really say one way or the other what I know or have learned from it because it's not over. Right. So in terms of experiencing a a sort of pressure there, it's the pressure of not having that knowledge about myself yet. Totally.
2: Yeah. Yeah, my Saturn return was honestly, like, wonderful, which is like, a little (laughs) demented to say, I think, and also very much like Saturn and Sagittarius, like, Yeah, we love change. Like bring it on. (laughs) Let me learn about
1: myself. (laughs) I was gonna say that's a truly Sagittarius. (laughs) This is great. Yeah. Here we go. But yeah, it was like a lot of shakeup. I like
2: moved I left New York City and moved to New Orleans and then moved back to New York City and like was quitting all kinds of jobs and had like a really big but good breakup where it was like like the life affirming kind of breakup. It was great. It was really (laughs) good.
1: Yeah, I think that there's a real, a real fear around the Saturn return that doesn't necessarily have to be there.
2: Well, it's similar to the Mercury retrograde, where it's like, the big pop culture things that if someone knows two things about astrology, it's those things. Yeah. Um, Right. And I think that, especially right now, right, editors love to put really big, splashy, scary headlines on things. And so everyone goes, Oh, my God, no, it was Saturn
1: return yeah yeah the idea that sort of I want to put in huge scare quotes like bad transits or whatever right. or just are, are fodder for clickbait when in fact it's so much not that right <laughs> I think too that there's part of the Saturn return hysteria that's a bad word to use but part, part <laughs> of the you know the real fear or dread that people have around Saturn return is aligned with a lot of other problems that we have kind of culturally in the United States today, like the fear of growing old or the fear of, you know, not being 100% happy all the time, or the fear of, you know, wasting your potential or not being as productive as you need to be or not being as, you know, perfectly competent as you need to be and not understanding that failure is a part of learning. Totally. Or even just that, not even failure, even just that not knowing something is part of... (laughs) being alive I don't know I, I find that anyway when I look at Saturn return narratives and even how they're framed in the kind of articles that you're just talking about the sort of you know oh it's coming brace yourself <laughs> um, I don't know if you have experienced anything similar having also you know not only read those articles but probably had to write a few of them in your
0: yeah your ten-
1: I've been um you know for the most part my editors at the cut
2: have been very like very good about not pushing me to write like the really wild clickbaity stuff but yeah and that's something i've had to kind of push back against a little bit not very much again because they're pretty good because i definitely think that right especially in kind of like pop more more mainstream like pop outlets right there's this idea kind of that because <laughs> astrology is like not real you don't have to be that careful about how you present it or you don't have to really worry about being ethical. Cause like, who cares? It's fake anyway. In a way that like, right. Actual practicing astrologers, I think are extremely concerned about ethics kind of in everything that they do. But then, you know, like the editor for wherever.com, it's just for fun. It doesn't matter. And so that's how I th- often think a lot of these like really wild (laughs) pieces come to be and then everyone gets scared and everyone's calling me up like oh no am I gonna die it's my Saturn return (laughs) (laughs) it's like you're not gonna die you're just gonna grow up which might feel like dying but (laughs) it'll be good
1: (laughs) yes yeah I think that's it's almost exactly it it's true growing up and dying simultaneously yeah (laughs) the feelings there. You brought up ethics and I feel that I am so curious about the way that you in your practice have approached this because you so often, well, I guess the way that, how do I want to phrase this? This is one of those parts where I'm like, Cooper, you have to edit this out for (laughs) (laughs) as I formulate my thought on the spot. I think what I'm trying to ask is you have this very, beautiful understanding of astrology as a way to understand like ourselves and then the world through ourselves and so the way that ethics enters into that for me anyway or what I've thought about is how you know how do we picture ourselves not only as an individual through something like a birth chart a natal chart and understanding those aspects but then also through like these big transits like how are we interacting with the world right? And how does knowing who we are, having better self-knowledge, translate into, you know, being able to work towards a better world together? Can you can you talk a little bit about, a, like, your formation of those ideas? and
2: Yeah, give me a second also. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <Cooper>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think
2: to start, and I think there are probably some astrologers who would strongly disagree with this approach, and that's fine, right? Like, to me the most important thing is like people, right? More than astrology, more than the planets, more than any of it is like people and literally everyone on earth's right to have like a good life and good things. And so astrology is kind of, again, this is just like for me, useless unless it's in service of those things in one way or another. Right. And so part of that means kind of affirming, right? Part of that's like the really easy, light, fluffy, like just affirming that you're fine the way you are. Right. And some of that is saying, like, yes, it's not you, the world sucks and is horrible right now right and some of that is saying like you personally and we collectively can kind of change these things right and so it's not yeah I don't know because I I get frustrated when people whether it's like astrology or whether you're a poet or whether you're like a chef right I get like frustrated with people saying that just doing something well and beautifully is radical it's not right like (laughs) It can be wonderful and worth doing, and I think these things are worth doing, but not because they're, like, politically going to change the world, just because these are things that we deserve as human beings on Earth. Yeah, I feel like I'm spinning out a little bit here.
1: I think it, I mean, it's one of those things for me that I'm constantly wrestling with. I, I sometimes feel very limited in my understanding of astrology because I've come at it through essentially just just through like the natal chart you know it's like first you know your sun sign then you know your big three then you start branching out into things like oh I want to learn about my chart ruler and I want to learn what house my moon is in and I want to you know look at these aspects and things and and you can get kind of lost in the intricacies of the self yes astrology
2: and I think it's really like worth noting That all of these venture capital companies are like, oh, astrology app, (laughs) like money, money, money,
1: let's do this,
2: right? Like that's not insignificant here, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. like if there's a way to attain perfect self-knowledge through this system, right, you will then unlock your powers as like a more productive (laughs) worker or something. (laughs) Right. Or Or just like a... um, surplus profit like for right. the people who own the astrology app which is a nightmare or
2: kind of in a similar but slightly like the cousin of that is like oh we'll just calm you all down by making you go deep into astrology right the astrology is the opiate of the masses
1: style like yeah like, <laughs> yeah. like um, I, haven't, I haven't read the book I guess that Adorno wrote about how astrology oh Okay. It's so funny.
2: No, you have to read it. It's really funny. Like, there's certain things that he's very right about, but overall, it's like, he picks apart this, like, one guy's newspaper horoscopes, (laughs) and, like, this is what astrology is to him. And so it's like, well, yeah, duh, this one guy who's like, talk to your boss on the 21st of the month, like, yeah, sure, yeah, right, in the same way that, like, a poem can be fascist, or you can be June Jordan, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it would be truly nonsensical to say that poetry is fascist because of like Ezra Pound or whatever. Was it him? Yeah. Who's the fascist? Sorry (laughs) if it's not. He he was.
1: I know he was an anti-Semite. I'm guessing he was a fascist. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. You know, just the existence of like a fascist astrologer doesn't necessarily mean that the field itself has those. Right. But it definitely
2: does mean that it can do all of those things, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Everything there is can be good or evil.
1: Yeah, I think my favorite version of this is, you know, JFK's like famous speech about the moon, the like we choose to go to the moon. He has this line where he talks about the utility of like space travel, and he says space science, like all other science, has no conscience of its own. And then of course goes on to say like, and that's why it's important that America. Which is a complete and total (laughs) rebuttal of what. (laughs) But the idea that all of these sort of sciences and disciplines and actions like have no conscience in and of themselves, like you have to you have to do the work of being the conscience of your activity. Right. I think I think that's kind of what I what I see with astrology too. Totally.
2: And I think it's right. All of these like believe science people, right, want so badly to kind of like outsource that to this idea that there is like a good discipline and you don't have to worry about it because then like you choose the good one and then you're safe, right? Which is just not how it is anywhere, not for science, not for astrology, not for space travel.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. wherever you go, you have to do the work of making the world better, not just continuing to remake the world in its own image.
2: Very exhausting,
1: (laughs) truly. So I'm thinking one of the things that I find very interesting about your astrological practice in general is that you have done so much horoscope writing <laughs> <laughs> at this point. what It's been, has it been like seven or eight it's years? It's been eight years. Okay. So you've yeah. written horoscopes once a week for eight years.
2: Yes. There was maybe a year in there that was monthly.
1: Okay but otherwise yeah Otherwise, is eight years of this regular (laughs) practice of writing horoscopes first of all that's amazing (laughs) so much work i mean just so much so much work accumulating on itself how has that evolved for you over time how have you have you changed the way you've done it are you doing any kind of you know yeah
2: i mean i think i mean i guess yeah let me start let me go back in time right when i started I was really teaching myself astrology as I was writing horoscopes, right? Like I knew kind of basics to start with and was learning as I went. And those were like, you know, so small, I wasn't getting paid for them. And it really just felt like a fun little exercise that I was doing, right? I really had so much fun. I was just writing, yeah, I didn't really think of myself as a writer either. I was working these overnight shifts at a homeless shelter and I'd be like, (laughs) totally deranged at 4 a.m. like Scorpio let me think (laughs) and so I think kind of the biggest change over time has been like having actually learned in a lot more depth about astrology and how to do it and I also think over the past few years kind of with what we were just talking about right thinking with a lot more seriousness about kind of how all of these things connect to the big world that we're living in versus the little world but not little but the micro world of our like rich inner lives versus our inner lives in the outer world and I think yeah I don't know just figuring out how to write these in a way that feels okay I think kind of from 2016 on it's felt a lot like how do I do this in a way that feels like I am engaging honestly with the world while still engaging honestly with the astrology
1: side of things too. Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine that the way that other people engage with it too has changed. Sort of the response that you've gotten from people has changed.
2: Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's so funny because it really always feels like just a totally mixed bag when you're doing astrology publicly, right? Mm-hmm. Like like there are people who Write me these like really wonderful serious messages about like like I don't I don't want to I don't want to say anything too like serious but like serious serious life stuff and you're, like you don't know it but you helped me with this thing and it's like wonderful and then there's also just some guy who's like how dare you talk about <laughs> astrology oh, <God. laughs> this is the worst thing I ever saw <laughs> yeah
1: the state of existing publicly I think invites both of those both of those people to your door truly yeah I I'm really interested in, in horoscopes I think specifically because I don't do them at all I mean I I haven't I haven't ever written them I've never tried to write them you know it's completely it's a it's a side of astrology that's completely different from the stuff that's that a, I do.
2: totally different than like like chart readings and consultations yeah. and stuff like that which is funny because I don't I do very little of that side of things, just because I Mm. feel like that's not really where my skills are even so much. It's more of this bizarre, right? Like horoscopes didn't even exist. Like the sun sign horoscopes didn't exist until the 1930s, right? It's like this very strange and very modern weird zone astrology.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by the idea that the horoscope At one point, I think was like it was the same as a natal chart. Like if you were were talking about my horoscope, you were like talking about your natal chart. Right. And the that history still exists in the name of it because it's literally just not to not to be like Oxford English Dictionary. (laughs) But but it's it's the words for like it's like time observance, right? Uh You're scoping the hour. (laughs) <laughs> you're looking at, you're looking at the time. You're checking the time. That's what a horoscope is. is. So it makes sense that a natal chart would be called that. But then it's, it's really interesting that in our modernity, I suppose, <laughs> it's come to mean this other thing, which is more, which some people consider to be a forecast, but other people consider to be more of like a, you know, pause and check in with yourself, which I think yeah. probably fall more into the latter category.
2: Yeah, definitely. It feels. Yeah. It's such a strange thing to try to do, right? Like writing out into the ether, like, mm-hmm. let me tell you your life, but I don't know you and I'll never meet you. And you get a hundred words from me. <laughs> Hope it's good.
1: hundred words every week. See you next week.
2: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> it's pretty incredible. I mean, it's a, it's a very cool way of practicing. I, feel that my whole astrological practice has been the opposite of that, which is where I almost never write interpretations. I'm always I'm almost always doing it face to face. So I like I haven't I actually haven't read a birth chart in quite some time. I did one for my friend and her roommate back like at the very start of the pandemic in March or April or something. I did a chart interpretation over Zoom for both of them. And I think that was the last one that I've done probably since we went into lockdown because I was always just doing it ad hoc, like at parties or in bars or, you know, at somebody's house when they find out that I am into this, I'll sit down and like read somebody's full chart for them, which is almost the opposite insofar as I'm doing so specifically tailored to an individual person. And also to their reaction to it, right? right? You know, they're asking me questions, they're asking for points of clarification, they're being like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> in a way that doesn't always reveal whether or not they agree with what I'm saying. So it is funny to have that such a such a dramatic difference in, in actions be part of like the same discipline, I guess.
2: Yeah. Do you have this is moving away a little bit, but like any Without asking for personal details, like mm-hmm. any memorable or like wonderful or wild chart reading moments that you've had,
1: I yeah, I have a couple one of the most memorable for me, I think, was reading the charts of a couple friends that I had had in college when when I wasn't really as into astrology as I am now. I mean I was into it when I was a little kid and Then kind of set it aside when I was a teen and when I was in early college as being this unserious thing that I had just, you know, I just happened to have all this knowledge and read a ton of was 9 and 10 and 11. And then I'm like, oh, that's not cool anymore. And then rediscovered it kind of along with the rest of the world when I was in my early 20s. And so I had all these good friends that I had known for a long time in college whose charts I had never done before. And there were a few that I did back-to-back on one night that were so revealing to me. I mean, without, you know, without doxing my friend, <laughs> I guess I won't necessarily say who this was. There were several where I was like, oh, it makes perfect sense that you have you know, a Pisces moon. Oh my God, uh-huh. it makes perfect sense that, you know, you're an Aquarius here and you have such and such. Like, there was this real moment for me where it was like it was like reverse engineering knowledge of someone through... Uh-huh through looking at their chart. I think probably the other most memorable one that I did was for another friend that I've known since childhood. Like, again, this is a thing where we had known each other for years. We had definitely been together in some of those early explorations into astrology. She is a Scorpio, and we have known that for a long time. <laughs> and I did her full chart for her when we were together, like three or four years ago, and I did it the way I always do it, which is where I just looked up, I I did a chart calculator and then I interpreted it for her. And then at the end of it, she asked me to send her what I had been reading. <laughs> and I said, Oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I have nothing for me to send you. I just, you know, I just said this out loud to you like, this is just me speaking. <laughs> and she went, What? <laughs> and I feel that that was a moment where I had this jarring realization of like reading a chart doesn't necessarily mean reading. I'm not reading from words, you know? That's cool. That's really fun. Which was, which was kind of funny. Yeah. Those are the two for me. Do you have any particularly um, memorable horoscopes, like memorable (laughs) weeks or experiences of horoscope writing? You know,
2: no. Is a very (laughs) short answer just because it really is so by nature, like ephemeral like it comes and goes i file every week on friday and by tuesday right someone could ask me like oh what's happening for me this week <laughs> it's like i don't know that's out of my brain completely already <laughs> which is funny it's something i've heard from a lot of people who write horoscopes that it right it just is in such constant motion and it's so not personal in a lot of ways so no <laughs>
1: I feel like we're really we're, we're getting to the bottom of the discipline here we're really
2: narrow <laughs> um I, oh here's one yeah i don't want to share anyone's heavy stuff but here's like a nice one that i can share who friends of mine got engaged thanks in part to like some pisces horoscope that was like i don't even remember what it said right like you're in love you can do it <laughs> <laughs>
1: which to be fair is always true for Pisces. <laughs> oh, Pisces. <laughs> we are in Pisces season now, and I think oh my gosh, we are and I'm crying constantly. It's awful. <laughs> oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> I was thinking I could use a good cry. I think it's been a, it's been quite some time for me. Maybe maybe this Pisces season will bring me a cry or two. Who knows? I mean, I
2: feel confident that it will, honestly it's been a while like this is the, time. <laughs> now
1: is the time. So, one of the things that I did ahead of our ahead of this is I wanted to ask you. There's this one particular thing in astrology that I have not very much experience with, but I'm just learning about, which is called like the Sabian symbols. Oh, yes. Are you familiar with the Sabian symbols? I am.
2: I don't know any of, like, mine off the top of
1: my head. Okay, I looked up our big three because I think that they are the most interesting, strange, mysterious... They're so
2: strange. I love... Yeah.
1: They're... Okay, so for listeners who may not have been exposed to the Sabian symbols, and please correct me here if I'm wrong, but... The idea was that this astrologer was working with a seer of some kind, this this woman who was a seer, and he would like hold up a card with one single degree of the zodiac on it. And she would speak some sort of image that came to her. And she looked at this blank card, which was associated with the degree of the zodiac. And so what you end up with are 360 degrees of each degree of each sign has like a slightly cryptic image associated with it or assigned to it by this reported clairvoyant. Is this like the, this yeah, is, yeah. Okay. So I wanted to ask you, <laughs> I wanted to ask you how you feel about your, your big three in, Oh, I love it. symbology. So I'm going to pull up my notes. Okay. So you have, your sun is at two degrees of Sagittarius. Yes two degrees rough between two and three degrees I think and the message the Savian symbol message here is two men playing chess
2: oh very intellectual very intellectual be curious (laughs) wait I'm looking now we're so close you're one degree
1: I'm one degree I'm one degree mine is white capped waves displaying the power of wind over sea Oh, that's beautiful. It's very, um, yeah. I feel like it's funny to have a water a water assignation to my fire sign there when my the other two big threes that I have are the other two of my big three. How would one say that? My yeah, other two <laughs> are water signs. So your moon, your moon is between 22 and 23 degrees of Capricorn. And the Sabian symbol for this is, by accepting defeat gracefully, a general reveals nobility of character.
2: Oh, interesting. Interesting. I feel I feel ha- like I was all the way on board and then it was like, oh, general. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I had the same reaction for you in particular. The idea that there's like a militarized version of something inside of you seems. Yeah,
2: no, there's no militarized. <laughs> yeah, there's no militarized. Um
1: <laughs> A general something else perhaps
2: but I do feel like accepting
1: <laughs> defeat gracefully is like a theme of my life <laughs> accepting defeat gracefully and thereby revealing nobility of character yeah wonderful and your rising sign in 16 degrees cancer is this is this feels a little bit portentous but I'm sorry to say this Uh-oh. the unfoldment of multi-level potentialities issuing from a single germ oh no it's great up until the end and then they hit you with germ. Wow. Okay, that's so spacey
2: and like Star Trek-y and beautiful and then, and then germ. A little
1: sad at the end. I suppose you could do germ like seed, like a yeah. little a single germination point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm so I'm so entranced by these things because they seem to have like a, sort of a tarot card. Aspect to them. Like there's like a single static image or an image that implies like a very limited motion. And then the interpretation of that image is somehow meaningful. Well, Um, and
2: I love it because astrology is so like mathematical and like traditions based. And it's like very for all it has this reputation as like a woo-woo thing. It's a little finicky and fussy about all the details. And this is just like, no, we're just gonna make up 300 like wild images i really right in astral it's so like delicately balanced and like each thing is connected to the next thing and the, all these different versions and this is just like nope you're a fire sign but you're getting the wind over the waves
1: the wind and the waves yeah okay,
2: so you're i want to know your so you're a six degrees cancer yes
1: moon. my moon in six degrees cancer the image given for this is I have to laugh. Two nature spirits dancing under the moonlight. Okay, I hate to say it, but that's very you. (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) I know. I I feel tremendously seen by this. And my rising sign in four degrees Scorpio reflects, actually in a very eerie way, reflects my sun sign. The image is, a massive rocky shore resists the pounding of the sea. On one hand, I have the waves displaying the power of the wind over the sea. On the other hand, I have the rocky cliffs resisting the pounding of the sea. And then in the middle, the sea is somewhere, but we're not sure where.
2: Yours is very, like, all of those together, and I envision Lake Superior. It's not wrong. wrong. I mean, it's, it's a little bit you. Mine's all these men doing activities.
1: Yours, yours together, I think, makes me think of like a like a Borges story. You know, <laughs> there's two men playing chess, and then by accepting defeat gracefully, a general reveals nobility of character, which then allows for the unfoldment of multi-level potentialities. Like that's a Borges short story, start <laughs> to finish. He moves the pawn. The pawn disappears from the board. Suddenly <laughs> the infinity of the universe is revealed. Wow. I love it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I have anything else for you. This was really fun.
1: This was really fun. I am excited that we got to do this. I'm trying to think, I suppose my last question, do you know of any other astrological text or like interrogation where two people who have the same birthday like sit down to talk with each other about this?
2: Not that I can
1: think of off the top of my head. I can't think of any from the world of astrology. I think the only even the only two famous people I know who have come into contact that like have the same birthday and have talked about this publicly are John Berger and Tilda Swinton. Oh wow. Who have this there's this moment in, I think there's a documentary about him that was made at some point. And there's this moment where he draws Tilda Swinton and they're talking about how they have, they're both November 5th Scorpios and they have some kind of understanding or, you know, multi-universe like recognition of each other. Oh, I love that.
2: There's something that
1: makes so much sense about those
2: two together. Yeah, I would agree. And I feel like there's something about us
1: that it's like, right? Like you, it's like most people aren't related, but there's like some, something. Thing. There's something there <laughs> it is astrological significance. It is the proof that astrology is real. Astrology is real. We cracked it. We cracked it. We did it. We it first. <laughs> Thank you for coming and doing this podcast with me. I'm Thank you for
2: having the idea. This was yeah.
1: yeah. I am. Um, I'm looking forward to the day when we can hang out in person. again. Oh. Soon, please. <laughs> soon. All
0: right. Thank you so much to Claire and to Corbin for that really wonderful conversation and for letting me provide a little platform for it. If you want to learn more about what they're up to, I will provide links in the show notes to their various online presences so you can follow up and learn about their doings and activities. This has been Witchhassle. If you like the show, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash hassle. Or you could leave a positive review on iTunes. Once again, I don't know if that really works. I assume it does, because all the other, you know, the podcasters who seem like more like real people than I am all say it to do it. So, you know, maybe it, it does work, or maybe it's like an urban legend that we're all just passing around to each other you know maybe it's the podcast equivalent of the old uh hook on the car door thing which come to think of it i don't actually know like what the real story is behind that i mostly just know the metonym of like you know urban legends hook on the car door like maybe it's scary because they lost the hook and they need that for stuff i've actually never seen candy man now that i think about it i hope the remake's good anyway uh this has been witch hassle thank you for listening good luck with the work ahead